0: This week on A Lively Experiment, Rhode Island's Education Commissioner gets a new contract and with it, some new headaches to deal with. And the latest campaign finance reports are in. We'll tell you who's leading in the money race for governor.
1: A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... Hi, I'm John White Jr. For over 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode
0: Island PBS. Joining us for a Reporters' Roundtable this week, Ian Donis, political reporter for the Public's Radio, WPRI Target 12 investigative reporter, Steph Machado, and Providence Journal Statehouse reporter, Patrick Anderson. Welcome to Lively. I'm Jim Hummel. We appreciate you spending part of your weekend with us. Education Commissioner Angelica Infante-Green will be sticking around for a while. At least that's what her bosses would like as they renewed her contract this week for another three years. Green, who was brought in with a statewide focus on improving education, had to deal with a state takeover of the Providence District followed by the pandemic during her first term. And it looks like the state's largest school district continues to be a major challenge. Uh, Steph, we'll get to that in a minute. Teacher vacancies. The question I've always had over these last couple of years, does she want to stay here? (laughs) You know, you wonder with everything going on, there was this talk about openings in New York. She seems committed, more committed in the last couple of months.
2: Yeah, I mean, she says she's staying. You know, I I think there's certainly an element of... Uh, her being wanted by other um, places that caused them to decide to renew her contract six months before it was up, um, kind of lock her down, uh, kind of thing. And but she told me on Tuesday night she's accepting. She's planning to stay. She says she is very fond of Rhode Island. Listen, she moved her family here. They have a home. Kids go to school. And and she says she's staying. Is it, um,
0: is it like a college basketball coach though? Because you know they always say we're extending them five years, and then the next best offer comes. I don't know if you know this. Are there outs to her? I mean, if somebody yes. came, oh, are yeah. there outs oh, to the yeah.
2: contract? I mean, listen, there's going to be a new governor um, dur- during this, you know, three-year contract, and so certainly that doesn't mean no one can lure her away with a job offer. She can leave with—I um, can't remember off the top of my head—but something like 60 days' notice. So certainly, she doesn't. She's not obligated to stay for three years um, if she signs this contract. Patrick.
3: Yeah, there were so many rumors that she might be leaving Um, for the the last couple of years. You almost wondered if they were (laughs) being floated intentionally. We heard Mm -hmm. Washington and back to New York. But um, I I think McKee might not want to disrupt things now as he's got a lot of balls in the air that he's juggling. The re-election campaign is beginning the, the task of improving not just the Providence schools, but all of the state schools, dealing with all of the money that's coming in uh, from the federal government for education and deciding how to use that. There's gonna be a lot going on. There's a ton of challenges. And I don't know if he wanted another variable and another task that he had to solve and, and to try to pick a new person leading that effort at this point. So it may be a good thing for him to lock Stability. her in.
1: Commissioner Infante Green has always seemed very aware of the justified public cynicism about education in Rhode Island. I mean, of course, this has been a primary challenge facing the state for decades now. And even before this contract renewal issue came up, she has said that she would be here for the long haul. Whether that means that she will be here for five years from now, who really knows? But I think she was cognizant of how there's been a revolving door of education officials, particularly uh, uh, superintendents in Providence, and that has not aided the effort to improve public education. Of course, it would be easier to assess her performance without COVID. And it's, you know, as Yogi Barra said, it's deja vu all over again, as the RICAS scores pointed out last week. And, you know, it just is going to take sustained effort to move the ball on public education in Rhode Island.
2: I think my question is whether she'll be here in 2025, which- which which is when this extremely long list of goals is supposed to be met. Because they don't have, as um, Senator Lou De Palma pointed out the other night at the Senate oversight hearing, they don't have year-by-year milestones. They say, we want the scores to be this in 2025. We want the diversity of the workforce to be this in 2025. We want all these metrics by 2025. And that was
0: the one dissenting vote, Colleen Callahan, because she said, I haven't seen enough yet. Right. Yeah.
2: You know, I asked her afterwards, I said, do you want a different commissioner or were you just not ready to renew this one? And she said it was the latter. She just wasn't like she... ready to support Commissioner Infante Green. Uh, she felt like the process was rushed. Um, but and, was 2025... And she hadn't seen enough about, of of, you know, we had we just had COVID. She hadn't seen enough that of progress to in Providence to make her think. I should renew this commission. Was
0: 2025 the original when she was hired or has that been pushed back because of the loss
2: to No, years? no, that That so was the all along. It was always going to be a 5-year turnaround and so basically 5 school years so it's really 6 years cuz it's the 2018-2019 school year is the baseline and they have a list of Uh, metrics that they want to get up by the 2024-2025 school year. So that's the time period that we're talking about in terms of getting, again, it's scores, graduation rates, dropout rates, uh, all these very long list of metrics that they want to get up by 2025. Of course, we don't know if the commissioner will still be here at that time when it's time to sort of hold folks accountable for those numbers.
0: I don't know what your impression is, but I felt that she got, uh, she and Dan McKee, got a lot closer as time went on. Now, I don't know what her relationship was with Gina Raimondo. Clearly, she hired her, but it seemed a lot better relationship, just looking from the outside in with Governor McKee. Now, even though he pulled her out of the negotiations, she would say publicly, I would hear on the stage there at the vets, it seemed a little bit warmer. I don't know if that was your impression and that helped obviously, but it seemed like their relationship is a
3: good one. Yeah. And and from what we expected, and this has been the case with a couple of McKee's kind of top lieutenants that were held over from where when the transition happened it was expected that they would either move on and he picked some new Stefan Pryor, and then there's been the back and forth with uh, dr nicole alexander scott um, who's been so central in the covid response there were a whole cycle of, uh, of kind of rumors and and periods of, of tension uh, allegedly between them and, that, and and she's stayed on and, and that but that keeps com- uh, keeps happening but this, it's some of a similar thing with, uh, with the education commissioner, um, where there, you think there might be tension in their expectations that he might want someone new. And then they kind of do get closer together, um, uh, closer as time goes on and, and he sticks with them. Um, so that's sort of a pattern with, with McKee a little bit. Yeah, you
1: can't take the politics out of politics, and the schools are inherently political. Uh, Governor McKee has had a demonstrated interest in education going back to the time when he was the mayor of Cumberland. And at the same time, I mean, I think if people were to criticism criticize him on education, it would be the, for the lack of a really radically different Providence Teachers Union contract, which was cited as a key need by Johns Hopkins University back in 2019. He seems to respond to that by saying in the real world, you know, there's got to be a little more collaboration and coming together and that, you know, he's trying to avoid more acrimony with the teachers union heading into an election year. But,
0: but uh, yeah, I think Patrick makes a good point on that. You have been doing reporting on teacher vacancies in Providence. I mean, they are hemorrhaging teachers. You know, and I thought about that. We had uh, we had the issue in my town, Barrington, about the three teachers. Uh, they're forcing them out because they're not getting vaccinated. I think of the practical for the kids. You have a teacher, you get, you know, kind of bond with your teacher, they have enough challenges, and then all of a sudden your teacher's gone. And so what do you do? It's it's a long-term sub for the rest of the year. They can't hire fast enough. What is Providence doing about this?
2: Well, so Providence doesn't have a vaccine mandate for teachers, so yeah. there aren't people leaving. But these
0: are just people leaving.
2: Yeah, there's, listen, like, they have 2,000 teachers, so I guess the the argument from their side would be, well, compared to how many teachers we have, having, you know, 200 teachers leave isn't that many, but that is a lot of teachers that have left since the start of the takeover, and even just in between last school year and this school year over this past summer, um, a lot of teachers left, and they're not hiring uh, fast enough to replace them as fast as they're resigning, Um, and, you know, officials have pointed to the number of Classroom vacancies is lower than the overall teacher vacancy number, which is about 124. And that's not in, That's not including other staff vacancies outside of the teachers union. But having 65 classrooms that don't have a teacher, that's a lot of kids who don't have a teacher this year. They have a sub, a long-term sub perhaps, or short-term subs. But that's not the same as having a certified teacher who's qualified in the subject to teach your class.
1: That kind of churn obviously does not aid the effort to improve the schools in Providence, and it's not unique to Providence, but urban school systems have a lot of turnover in the student body each year. So a million years ago, I asked the the then education commissioner, Peter McWalters, why Hope High School was depicted on the cover of a national (laughs) magazine as an ideal college preparatory school back in like 1965. And he said, well, the economy changed. You know, back then if uh, there were a lot of kids who dropped out." out but they could get a job in a manufacturing facility, make a good living for the rest of their lives. And now the, those opportunities are much fewer and there's a lot more turnover in the student body.
3: You, go ahead. And just looking big, big picture, we're seeing a little bit right now, going back to the RICAS sto- scores, there have been big consequences from the pandemic in education. We're, we're seeing a lot of it now, it, both with the after effects in employment and, and what's happening in Providence with the teachers, but those the horrible RICAS scores, and there were consequences to going to remote learning and and there there was some debate of oh, even before the pandemic of oh we can we can shift days to remote, kids can learn online it 'll be okay you know, we 'll we'll replace these days it 's not not that big a deal, but there is a big cost to not having kids in schools, and you know as we got it sort of the latter stages of two thousand and twenty, some of the districts maybe weren't as uh, uh, eager to go back as quickly as pilot didn't have didn't have that uh, that the speed to get back uh, that they they might have.
0: Yeah, Governor Mundo, I remember seeing her at the vet saying it's going swimmingly. You've never done better. We have the best distance learning in the country. Well, now a year later, and it's not her fault, but a year later, we realized that that just you know, wasn't the case. All right, let's move on to um, you guys have been digging into campaign finance reports uh, that were due for the third quarter. Ian, let me begin with you. Uh, all the candidates, but clearly we're looking at the governor's race. No surprise, Seth Magaziner is raising a lot of money. What I think about, too, is that Jorge Alorza has a million dollars and he's not running. So Seth Magaziner's got twice the amount of Governor McKee. What do you read into this? The, the money drives the, the show, but McKee has, you know, he has us following him every day which is priceless.
1: I think, uh, you know, Magaziner is coming at it from the perspective that the best defense is a strong offense. I think, you know, he faces certain challenges in the election. Governor McKee has had some controversies and it's easy for people to underestimate him, but the incumbency of being governor offers a lot of advantages. We don't know what Helena Folk's uh, fundraising numbers are yet because she didn't have to file for the third quarter, but as a very prosperous former corporate executive. She is presumed to have a great capacity for raising money. So I think, uh, you know, Magaziner is going to have to really plot his moves carefully. And uh, as we know, with uh, six candidates on the Democratic primary field, uh, you know, some five of them with who are going to have a lot of money, it's uh, someone could win with a relatively thin slice of the vote. And uh, folks is potentially taking the votes away from Magaziner. So, you know, I think he's got to u- figure out how to use his mon- mo- money strategically and how to craft his message to compete effectively amid the other candidates.
0: What do you make of the latest reports?
3: Well, I, I don't think we've really seen the race begin yet. They're, they're, all of the candidates are really laying low, uh, which is a good thing because we're going to be sick of the constant back and forth and at attacks uh, in, in not too long. But they're, you know, they're doing their polling uh, internally, but we really haven't seen them. They're really, they're really not engaging each other, um, and no one wants to go negative. I think right now uh, everyone realizes that when you go negative and come after someone, that that brings down your favorability too. So everyone wants to be the last one to do that, and they still have probably until you know, the new year to do that. Um, but it, it does look good for Magaziner. We knew he'd be able to raise money, but I think the fact that he's, um, you know, he's he's edging back ahead of McKee. McKee hasn't been able to really capitalize on that good period he had in the spring and summer uh, when it when it when he really uh, looked like he was in a strong position and that he might be able to lean on that incumbent advantage uh, to and the fact that he he does have control of so much money and so many levers of state government to increase his own fundraising. Um, so I, I think, it, you know, those weren't amazing numbers for McKee, but really the race has, has yet to, to really take off.
0: I know you're talking about uh, negative, and it'll happen in the commercials eventually. You know it's eventually going to happen in the spring or the summer. We get these snarky, Emails. we're all on the list. You probably don't see them from Nelly Gorbea, to a lesser extent, but Seth Magaziner. We need real leadership. You know, it's, a, it's not so veiled threat to, not threat, but comment about, you know, I would do this or w- whatever. So, I mean, it's not necessarily negative, but he's been very critical about what McKee's doing. And so I think that's kind of laying It's, laying it's the
3: passive head. aggressive, I guess, yeah. or instead yeah. of yeah. aggressive, yeah. aggressive. And they're actually ta- not taking opportunities that they will take. Um, you know, just kind of behind the scenes, there, 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 are, there are a lot of things that they, they will be jumping on if it was further along in the race, um, but they're, they're, they're trying to kind of keep that a little bit above the fray thing, um, and, and we still don't know what impact Helena folks will have, because she, she, she came up uh, above the surface of the water just for a second, and now has kind of dove back down into the <laughs> the, into abyss. Into the depths. <laughs> no one's seen or heard from her uh, almost since, so that's a complete mystery. That's still. a great analogy. Yeah, I
2: mean, it's 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 obviously interesting to see the war chests and who's in the lead and who's not, but until the race really gets going, we can't say, oh, well, Magaziner's raised the most money, he's in the lead. It, you know, McKee is getting... He hasn't even actually announced his campaign yet, but he gets to be on TV every day because, of course, he's the governor. So I think it's going to be a little bit before we start to see the race take shape and the actual uh, rankings of of sort of who's pulling ahead uh, come through. Right now, you know, everyone who isn't the incumbent governor is sort of competing for uh, trying to get attention, sending out a press release about, you know, I disagree with, with what McKee just did and, and hoping that it makes the news. But we're still a ways off from seeing everything really take shape.
0: What's the path down ballot? I mean, oh, well, it's not down ballot yet, but you look at Nellie Gorbea, who came out first, Right. And then Matt Brown's got the whole political cooperative, and that's a whole nother half hour we could talk about. It's interesting. He talked about this 50 people, but really only 14 have declared. So we'll see how that goes. What is the path to get airtime and space and and? connect with the voters for the other people trying to vie for space? And then Dr. Munoz, who's kind of way down the ballot. Well, to Patrick's point, I mean, the field has not
1: really gelled yet for the state general offices. I mean, we know Attorney General Peter Nerona is going to seek re-election. The treasurer's office, secretary of state's office uh, will be vacant. and uh, But it's you know, it gets very granular in legislative races. These are family and friends elections, sometimes divided by uh, decided by a couple of hundred votes. And, you know, it remains to be seen about the strength of the political cooperatives entire effort. As you say, Jim, they say they're going to run 50 mostly legislative candidates. We've only seen a fraction of that some so far. They had problems with the vetting of some of that candidates. But, uh, you know,
0: a lot of this is yet to happen. All right, uh, Steph, you've been busy this week. Uh, actually, last week you had a great story, and if you haven't seen it, go to WPRI.com about the 10 year anniversary. Has it been 10 years? Ian, we're getting old. <laughs> it's like 10 years. I know. I can't believe I'm editing a
2: story. and it, I covered the original thing 10 years ago. In your life, 10
0: years seems like a lot. For <laughs> us, it's just kind of part of the old what we do. Um, but it was interesting what they had planned 10 years ago and where we are now. And you know, your graphics were just great. It's really, they only have this, this. And you talked to the chairman who really said, maybe we were a little bit ambitious at the beginning. So set the table for those who aren't familiar. Uh,
2: Yeah, so you know, we, we obviously cover, and Patrick covers this a lot too, these individual proposals for what to build on the 195 land. Things get proposed, delayed, denied, scrapped you know, Fane Tower, it's taken five years, but I really wanted to take, like, the 500-foot view of, like, okay, what have we done in the last 10 years on this land? It looks nice down there, down by the pedestrian bridge, but a lot of the parcels are still vacant. There are a couple buildings that that are up and are being constructed, and I just wanted to take, like, a really good overview of what's being built and how does it compare to the promises that were made 10 years ago, both about what sort of place this was going to be, this innovation district downtown, and also how has this played out for taxpayers? And um, I was surprised to, you know, add up the land sales and see that they've only made $1.2 million selling this land compared to the projections at the time uh, during the Chafee administration were that they would have made more than $40 million dollars by this year, and that would have paid back these bonds that they took out uh, to buy this land as part of this whole vision. And, and the chairman of the 195 Commission, who um, wasn't the chairman back then, but he says, you know, that's fine. We're trying to incentivize development, not get uh, big land, you know, not get big prices for the land. But the flip side of that is that when you decide that you're going to sell land for a dollar, um, the taxpayers then have to pay back the debt that we're, you know, we're paying that back every year. Millions of dollars a year at this point is the debt service you know plus interest um, on these loans that were taken out to buy this land. And I don't think the taxpayers knew at the time, 10 years ago, that they would be footing the bill for that.
1: A couple, couple of notes on this. Excellent story by Steph. Uh, of course, the most notable development in the 195 District, the Wexford Complex, was heavily subsist- subsidized by the state. Mm. On the other hand, I was walking around the Jewelry District earlier this week, and there are a bunch of new buildings on the periphery of the 195 District residential buildings that'll give more residential density to Providence. That's a good thing. And finally, the Rodon Foundation is engaged in an effort to study why Rodon has had difficulty attracting more life sciences companies. This is a a good effort. It'll be good to get that information. The question I have is, you know, why is this only happening 10 years into the process Mm -hmm. when, you know, it would have been helpful to have this inquiry happening 10 years ago, right?
0: Yeah. And, And wasn't the rub I mean, now it's, it's heavy on the housing, that they were looking more for businesses and jump-starting and well, all they're that.
3: Always, they, they've always been doing that, but a lot of it was uh, by folks, uh, elected officials who knew that it was going to be 10 years and they probably weren't going to be here before those projections came due and before people really could look and, and analyze what was there. And they they made ridic- the projections of of what they would make from land sales and I think of the job creating um, businesses that they expected to be there were not practical given Rhode Island's market. And, and they, they couldn't have predicted the pandemic and the fact that the that demand for commercial and office space uh, is, is, has gone through the floor. But so the question has then become, is it, is it better to have apartment buildings in downtown Providence, um, even if we have to maybe slightly subsidize them or give the land away for free, or to have um, parking lots and kind of, a, or a grassy space in the middle of the city, and they've they've gone with. Uh with the former, uh, and and decided to go with the apartment building. And if you can get them on the
0: tax rolls, that's fine. But you know, the, the, the universities have bought up so much land now that then goes off of not necessarily 195, yeah. but then that goes off the books too because, in terms of tax revenue.
2: Yeah, I mean, even if you look, think about the state health lab that they're now potentially going to build on the 195 land. state so they're going to sell the land for a dollar to a private developer. Then when they build it, there's going to be, it's going to be a condominium. So the state will own part of the building and then an anchor tenant might come in for, or not an anchor tenant, excuse me, just a tenant will come in for the other part of the building and it may or may not be Brown University, which doesn't have to pay property taxes. So it, it it's unclear how much property taxes the city is going to get from this land um, the they are getting no property taxes now, though, from the vacant land. The 195 Commission doesn't have to pay property taxes on the land now, so we'll see if they can make any of that see, up. See, 10
0: years ago, they didn't know Steph Machado was going to be coming back 10 years from now <laughs> and, and looking back, and you wanted the 500-foot view. Really, Sky Drone 12 is your 500-foot view, say, right? I was going to say,
2: the drone does go up 500 well, gotta feet. got to so love was, the drone. That, that was literal. But, it was just funny. It was, I went through you know, the Channel 12 archives um, from, you know, I got here in, in 2015, so it was you know, before my time and seeing, you know, Don Kachiri saying we're going to have thousands of jobs and, and just seeing the promises that were made back then that haven't come to fruition. Uh, it doesn't mean what they're doing now is is bad either. Maybe the apartment buildings and the, the new, uh, I, I guess, uh, method of, of how, how to handle that land is is going to end up being great, but it's certainly not what people were told 10 years ago.
0: All right, let's do uh, outrages and or kudos. Mr. Donis, what do you have this week? Yeah, there was news this
1: week about uh, sexual abuse allegations against a priest in Providence. Of course, there's this story about accusations against a former coach in North Kingstown, too, allegedly engaging in some inappropriate behavior. Of course, these people are presumed innocent until proven otherwise, but it really points to the <coughs> epidemic of of abuse in our society. I mean, we at news organizations get news releases all the time from uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office and other law enforcement agencies about people being prosecuted for possession of child porn. Just the frequency with which this happens is disturbing and, and it's outrageous.
3: Yeah. Patrick, what do you have? Well, it doesn't uh, raise to the level of outrage potentially, but going back to the, the campaign finance reports, Uh, Matt Brown, um, saying that he outraised McKee when he combined, uh, his, uh, Lieutenant governor, uh, partner, uh, Cynthia Mendes was a little bit absurd, but I have to appreciate it uh, because he probably knew that it would drive the media who always report on these fundraising numbers crazy. Um, and, and so maybe we just do it with a little more humor, uh, would have been less outrageous.
0: Yeah, we could all use a little more humor. Uh, Steph, what
2: do you have? I I do have a kudos this week, which is to uh, my colleagues, Eli Sherman and and Tim White, um, have been reporting on the North Kingstown, former North Kingstown coach that Ian mentioned. And, you know, uh, they've been filing stories over the past week, but they worked on this story for a really long time. And it's really, these are stories that are really hard to nail down. You have uh, people who were. You know, children or teenagers, when this happened, and are coming forward for the first time and, and putting their trust in local journalists. And I've watched them work on this story over the past couple months, and I'm 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 proud of the work, and it just reminds me of you know why we're here and what we're doing. Yeah, I should
1: note too that North Kingstown coach is facing scrutiny, but he has not been charged, charged. with yeah. anything. Yeah, correct. This isn't a,
2: a, a uh, there's a criminal investigation, but no charges.
0: We have just a couple of minutes left, Patrick. Let me go back. You had a story we're taping Friday morning, late Thursday. You had reported about potentially uh some movement on the federal stimulus money there really seems to be a difference though that the the senate wants to come back but you know clearly you need the house to play ball to set the table and we had the governor on this show a couple months ago he now wants to get 10 percent out the door and it's so ironic we've talked about this gina armando was like write a check here write a check write a check here (laughs) and now it's like we have to go through this deliberative process
3: what's your sense of where is the house on all this well, they have been reluctant to come back the whole time. Uh, for a, most of the summer and fall, the Senate was working with them and, and didn't want to have any gap between any light daylight between them and the House. But they're now saying that they want to come back before the end of the year and vote on something. So That kind of shifts the spotlight a little bit over to the House to see what they'll do. If the Senate votes on McKee's proposals and uh, to spend some money, then it will be whether the House will do the same. So that kind of changes the dynamic a little bit. But we still have really no idea uh, whether this will happen or, or when it will happen. And then we're still waiting on marijuana legalization, which also may have we, we thought you know was going to be uh, was going hey, to happen a couple to that fall of times.
0: session? It's the second week of <laughs> November. Right? And
3: then it was close, and now and then it wasn't close, and and um, so we're still in that uh, period. But now you know now the dynamic has changed a little bit. Um, So it's over to Speaker Shikarchi a little bit more to see uh, what he wants and what he's going to do. So
0: the finance committees have have looked at it, but we really don't know, is there going to be a massaging? It's not like there's one clear path that you can come back and vote on, right?
1: Right. And Rodon is an outlier as far as not yet turning on the spigot for the American Rescue Act plan money. At the same time, I mean, there are certain uncertainties that one could point to in justifying holding off, like, you know, the federal infrastructure bill. If it wins approval, ultimately does include a ton of money for broadband, and that's something that Governor McKee wants to spend money on in the short term. So, you know, some people might say that justifies holding off for a little bit right now. But, yeah, um, we are uh, it's interesting how the House has been uh, staunch in not wanting to come back yet.
0: All right, folks, that is all the time we have. I'm sorry. Hey, it goes fast. Life goes fast, Steph. Uh, <laughs> a decade. A <laughs> decade from now, you're gonna going to be going, oh, for I that. did that. For yeah. That wait, wait till you catch Yeah, <laughs> wisdom. That's age. Uh, Ian and Steph and Patrick, thank you so much. Folks, thank you for joining us every week. If you don't catch us Friday at 7 or Sunday at noon, be sure to check us out all over social media platforms. You can go to ripbs.org slash lively, our Facebook page and Twitter. Uh, we will see what happens over the next week. We'll have it covered. Come back here next week as a lively experiment continues.